Wow, wasn't that incredible? I'm telling you. Let's put our hands together. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, I think that whenever we have moments where God kind of shows up, Williamsburg, Somerset, I'm sure you feel like we do it. Um, it was just kind of like the spirit of God blew through here. And, and to feel his presence and, and to know that there's power when we pray and there's, there's power in the midst of our gratitude, even in the midst of whatever difficulties that we're in. And, and in those moments, those moments are what we call a tangible expression and an experience of the grace of God. So I just want us to put our hands together everywhere, just one more time, and, and thank God for that, that moment. Um, today, uh, we're going to wrap up this series, and uh, I want to start by talking about freedom. Uh, when it comes to freedom in this country, um, we, we have always cherished it, and, and we love our freedom, and we celebrate our freedom, and we do whatever we can to protect our freedom, and, and that's the way it is, and that's the way that it should be. Uh, but we have always loved the idea of freedom. And when I say we, I, I'm not talking about us Americans, I'm talking about us uh, human beings. As human beings, we have always loved this idea and, and this notion of freedom, and just not freedom, but, but personal freedom. Uh, we've always enjoyed the idea of independence. We've always enjoyed the idea of autonomy. And, and there's something about personal freedom, there's something about individual uh, liberty uh, that we desire it, we crave it because it's attractive, it's, it's alluring, it's, it's almost irres, irresistibly seductive. And, and because we want it so bad, oftentimes we're willing to do whatever it takes in order to obtain it. And, and that's just the way it is. That's the way it's always gonna be because that's the way it's always been when it comes to personal freedom. Matter of fact, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, personal freedom, think of it this way, personal freedom was at the heart of the first temptation. Um, remember what God told, you know, Adam and Eve, our first parents, he put them in, into the garden and his first words to them were, you are free. You're free to eat of all the trees in the garden except for one tree. So God says, you are free to eat all of these trees except for one. So they had the whole thing except for one. And then the tempter comes along and temptation says, how in the world are you dealing with this amount of limited choices? How are you dealing with this much of lacking freedom? How are you dealing with this? You should be free. You should be free to be able to do whatever you want to do, including that one tree that God said that you can't eat from. You should be free to do what you want to do. You should be free. You should have the personal freedom to make your own decision. That was the first temptation. The first temptation was, why should God have the right, or anybody else for that matter, why should God have the right to tell you what to do or what not to do? And so temptation, you know, the tempter says, well, listen, if you eat of that tree that God told you not to, the only reason that God told you not to is because God knows that if you eat that tree, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God. And if you become like God, guess what? You will be free of God. If you become like God, you won't need God. If you get free of God, you won't have to surrender to God. If you get free of God, you get to do what you want to do. You'll be free of God. That was the first temptation. And if we're really honest, if we're really honest, from here to here, right here, in my heart to your heart, if we're all just honest, that's really what we're all looking for. That's really in our heart of hearts what we long for, is to be free of God. 
We want the freedom to do what we want, when we want, how we want, no matter the cost. That's who we are. That's who we've always been since the Garden of Eden. And this is the story that we see working its way out through the scriptures. And if you think you're any different than our first parents, if you think you're any different than down in your heart of hearts that you and I wanna be free of God, that you wanna be free to do what you wanna do, how you wanna do it, despite the cost. If, if you think that's not you, you're as John in the New Testament would say, you have deceived yourself. I have deceived myself if I think that's not who I really am. And so starting in the Garden of Eden, moving forward, we, we see this kind of thing just recycling itself over and over again. And it just keeps reminding us, this is who we are. We are a rebel race. We wanna be free of God. We wanna be free of authority. We just want our freedom. We just want our independence. We just want our autonomy. Judges 21 really reflects it. It says, in those days, Israel had no king, real no authority. Now, God was king, but they didn't look at God as though he were king. In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? It was a time of personal freedom. It was a time of individual liberty. It was a time of autonomy, and everyone was doing what they thought was best. Everybody was doing what they thought was right. And everybody was making their own decisions and everybody had their own standard and everybody had their own filter. And everybody was just living their life, doing what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it because that's what they defined as what was good and best and what was good and best was what was good and best for them. And it actually took place at the expense of other people. It happened at the expense of other people. And if you know anything about that time in history, there was so much division, there was so much unrest, there was so much injustice, there was so much death. It wasn't a safe place to be. It wasn't a safe place to be for children. It wasn't a safe place to be for children or for women. It wasn't a safe place for the vulnerable. It really wasn't a safe place for anyone. Because when you do what's right for you and what's best for you, out of your own eyes, when I do what's best and right for me according to my own eyes, inevitably other people will suffer. That's what happens every single time. That happens throughout all of history, that when we do what's best for us, when we make our decisions based on what's best for us, other people needlessly, unnecessarily, they suffer because everybody was doing what was best for themselves. And, it, and it's a reminder, and it's a little bit of a rub that doing what's best for me is rarely the same thing as what's best for you. Now we wish that weren't true, but we know that's true. That what's best for me doesn't always run in the same direction as what's best for you. Now, later on in the story, again, this just keeps recycling itself and we find God's people rebelling against God time and time again because they wanted their freedom. They wanted freedom from law. They wanted freedom from instruction. They wanted freedom from mandates. They wanted freedom from commandments, from authority, from responsibility. And in the book of Jeremiah, the people of God, they, they just said this out loud. They said, at last, we are free from God. We don't need him anymore. We're finally free to do what we want to do. We're finally free from these standards. We're finally free to do it how we want to do it, to make the decisions based on what we think is right and what we think is best for us because that's who we are. And this type of living in the scripture, just to kind of give you an overview of the scripture, this type of living always led to the judgment of God. Now, when you talk about the judgment of God and and you think about the judgment of God, if you're anything kind of like me, when I was a kid, the judgment of God always felt so divine. It, it always felt so otherworldly. 
It, it always felt like, you know, you would hear about fire and brimstone and you would hear about floods and you would hear about disasters and you hear about plagues and, you know, the judgment of God. But, but as I grew older and as I read the scriptures, I discovered something. I discovered something that is even more terrifying than thinking of the judgment of God like that. It's this right here, that the judgment of God is when God lets us have our way. That the judgment of God is when God lets us have our way. People post online all the time, God is gonna judge America. God's gonna judge this nation. God's gonna judge the world. The judgment of God is when God lets us have our way. And when God lets us have our way, we are under the judgment of God. It's when God doesn't stand in the way of our choices. It's when God doesn't stand in the way of the consequences of those choices. It's when we have to deal with the self-inflicted wounds. It's when we have to deal with the, we did it to ourself type of mess. It's when we have to deal with the things that we broke because of our choices. This right here, I've used it every week. You know what this is the sound of? Not just a mess, just not brokenness. This is often the sound of freedom. This is often the sound of when I think that I need to be free to do what I wanna do, how I wanna do it, with whom I wanna do it with, despite the cost. This is the sound of I did it to myself. This is the sound of, I broke it. Even more horrifying, this is the sound of what some of us have left others as. We broke them. We opened Pandora's box on them. And this is what life sounds like. This is what life looks like when we live our lives like this, with self at the center. This is what life looks like when you define what's good for you and when I define what is good for me. This is what life looks like. That's what life sounds like. When I get to be the arbiter of what is true, it's true for me, it's best for me. This is what life, this sound of brokenness, this mess is often, it's a result of this. When the most important person in my life is me, when my greatest loyalty is me, my greatest allegiance is me, I sit upon the throne and the kingdom that I'm most concerned about is mine. This is what we tend to think of as freedom. There's no one there crowding us out. There's no one there bothering us, not God, not people. There's no authorities getting into our business. This is kind of our idea of freedom. I get to do what I wanna do, I get to decide it. I'm gonna do what seems right through my own eyes. But the scripture says this is not freedom at all. Matter of fact, scripture says that this is the opposite of freedom. Jesus comes along and Jesus says, I wanna offer you a different way, I wanna offer you a better way. And he invites us to follow him, to reorganize our lives around him and his teaching. And Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, you remember what he said? If you follow me, Matthew 9, 23. If you're gonna follow, Luke 9, 23. If you're gonna follow me, deny yourself. You're gonna have to disavow your loyalty to you. 
You're gonna have to disavow your loyalty to you. You're no longer gonna pledge allegiance first of all to you. Your loyalties, your affections, your allegiances are now going in a different direction. You're now pledging your loyalties, your affection, and your allegiance towards what is truly most important. Your faith is now aligned with what God considers most important. And when you and I align our lives around what God considers most important, this is how our life begins to look. That's at the center of who we are. That's at the center of how we live our lives. Jesus invited us to a life where we seek first the kingdom of who? The kingdom of God. Jesus invites us to a life where we get off the throne, but God sits on the throne of our lives, where we surrender our kingdom to his. He establishes the ethics. He establishes the values of his kingdom. He invites us to be citizens of his kingdom and to march under his law, and his law is love. And Jesus said the most important thing is to love God and to love your neighbor more than you love anything else, including you and including me. Why? Because the most important thing to God is for you to love him and for you to love your neighbor. And when God thinks about people, as we said, God cares about people more than he does their sin. God cares about people more than he does their mess. God cares more about people than he does their brokenness. And he says, that's what I want to be true of you. What is true of me, I want to be true of you. So every person on this planet other than you, that's your neighbor. Some of them are close by and some of them are far away, but every other person on this planet, that's your neighbor. They may be black, they may be white. They may be rich, they may be poor. They may be gay, they may be straight. They may be Republican, they may be Democrat. They may be conservative, they may be liberal. They may be your denomination, they may not be your denomination. They may share your interpretations of the Bible, they may not share your interpretations of the Bible. They may have your theory down on immigration, they may disagree disagree with your theories of immigration. They may see the world exactly the way you see it, or they may see the world nothing like you see it, but they are your neighbor, and Jesus said they are the most important thing in your life and in my life. Because following Jesus is about making what's most important to God most important to me. Can we all just say that out loud everywhere on three? One, two, three. Following Jesus is about making what's most important to God most important to me. And what's most important to God? People. This is what the New Testament says faith looks like. This is what the New Testament, this is what the New Testament teaches that holiness looks like. What true spirituality looks like. This is what Jesus said is losing your life and finding your life. This is what Jesus called abundant life. This is where Jesus teaches that we find meaning and we find purpose and we find connection. And this is what the scripture teaches us. This is what Jesus teaches us. This is what the New Testament teaches us. This is where we find freedom, a different and better kind of freedom. A freedom that is not clean and tidy, but a freedom that can get quite messy. And that's what Paul was talking about in his letter to the Galatians. As we talked about last week, he is amazed and he's perturbed and he's irritated that 
These Christians have moved away from what makes the good news good, which is the grace of God. And the church is in conflict over law and grace and faith and works and freedom and bondage. Different issues, but really the same issue. And this is what he says to them. This is what he says to us. It is for freedom. This thing that we've always found attractive, this thing that we've always wanted, this thing that we thought was worth whatever it took to get. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So this is Paul's way of saying two things at once. Christ set us free so that we could be free. He set us free so that we could enjoy what it means to be free. And the freedom that he's talking about is freedom from the law. That we are free from the law. He says, so do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And this yoke of slavery was the law, the old covenant. And again, he says, I want to remind you that you are accepted by God. You are blessed by God. You are loved by God. You are favored by God. You are anointed by God. Your prayers are heard by God. God hears you. God sees you. Not because of what you have done or not do, but solely completely because of what Jesus has done for you. That's why you're accepted. That's why I'm blessed. That's why I'm loved, favored, and anointed. That's why he hears my prayers. That's why he pays attention to me. Not because of what we have said yes to or no to, but because of what Jesus did. And you know what Paul said? He said, that's freedom. Breathe that in. Feel it. Let it sink in. That God loves you right now, not because of you, but because of Jesus. That's freedom. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. That's freedom. You're blessed right now. You're blessed by God. Not because of what you do or don't do. You're blessed by God because of what Jesus did. That's freedom. God hears your prayers just as you are wherever you are. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Paul says that's freedom. You're anointed with the Spirit of God. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. Yes, that's right. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. And Paul says that's freedom. So there's no pressure to perform, no pressure to pretend. There's freedom in that. And Paul says, soak that up, feel it, don't let go of it. There's no pressure to have to do more or try harder, which was the version of faith that most of us grew up with. Just do more and try harder, just do more and try harder. You don't have to do that. We're free from that. That's not how things work and there's freedom in that. We're freedom from having to keep the law. We're free from the penalty of having broke the law. The lawmaker became the law keeper that died for lawbreakers. We're free. We don't look to the law to be saved. We don't look for the law as a guide for life. Paul says we are free. There's freedom in that. There's the ability to breathe deeper in that. We have been justified by faith and God sees you and God sees me just as though we have never sinned and just as though we have always obeyed. Let me tell you what, that's freedom. That's freedom. That's how God sees you. That's how God sees us right now in real time, despite it all. So I just don't believe, I can't believe that. You haven't heard the good news then. Paul says obedience doesn't make you good with God and disobedience doesn't make you bad with God. 
You're good with God because of Jesus. There's freedom in that. Paul taught you can't out the grace of God. Now, he would also say don't try. But Paul would teach you can't out the grace of God. That your sin is great, but God's grace is greater. There's freedom in that. As John Popper said, we can't sin enough to bring back the anger of God that Jesus received on our place on the cross no matter what. Jesus absorbed all the judgment of God, all the anger, all the wrath. There's none left for you. There's none left for me. You know what you call that? Freedom. So I'm not trying harder. I don't feel the pressure to pretend or perform. When I get freedom, I understand I don't have to do anything more to be blessed or anointed or have my prayers heard or get God to move or get God to bid his will to mine. And Paul says that's freedom. And if your version of faith and if my version of faith doesn't make us feel free, then we don't understand the good news. If we're walking around guilt-ridden, shame-bearing, if that's our version of faith, Paul says, you don't understand freedom. You don't have to keep the law, which is good news because you can't keep the law. If you had to keep the law to be good with God, you would never be good with God because you can't keep the law. And so Paul says, mark my words. Just mark my words, write it down, take it to the bank. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, again, Paul didn't have anything about being circumcised per se. He's talking about issues of faith versus works and law versus grace. Paul's saying that if you're gonna trust circumcision, because remember there was a group of people saying, hey, you gotta be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. You gotta become Jewish before you can become Christian. Paul says, if you're gonna trust law to be right with God, if you're gonna trust works to be right with God instead of grace and faith, you've made Jesus of no value. You, you've, you've stripped the good news of what's good. If you think you can be right with God, if you think you can get anything from God because of what you do, you have made Christ irrelevant. You have made his life irrelevant, his death, his resurrection. It means nothing to you because you're trying to do what Christ did for you. It's as futile as trying to pay off a bill that's already been paid. It's, it's as futile as trying to work off a debt that's already been paid. Paul says, we don't have to do that. That's not what a relationship with God looks like. That's not what faith looks like. He says, there's freedom. And if you don't feel free, you haven't understood the good news. He says, again, I declare, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. If you're gonna to try to obey one part, you gotta to try to obey the whole part. If you're gonna pull out Leviticus, you might as well pull out Deuteronomy, you might as well pull out Numbers, you might as well pull out Genesis and Exodus. Just pull out the whole Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament because you can't pick and choose. You can't say, oh, there's ceremonial law here and there's civil law here and moral law there. The Old Testament knows no such division. There was the law. There was the old covenant. And he said, if you're gonna to try to obey that, you gotta go the whole way. So you've got the dietary law, you got your gardening laws. You got your couture laws of what kind of threads you can wear and what kind of threads you can't wear. You, you can't pick and choose any of that. He says you can't have a little law and a lot of Jesus. It's either you're all in on the law or you're not in at all. And if you're all in on the law, you've missed Jesus. He says... 
You are trying to be justified by the law. Having been alienated from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. He says, you're living under law, not grace. I told you a story a few months ago about a couple years ago of almost burning out, burning out, crash and burning, whatever happened. And I and, uh, told you about going to Florida and told you about, you know, getting into counseling. And, and one of the things that uh, my counselor helped me understand is that I have no problem extending grace in every direction save one. And it's in my direction. That I love to talk about the grace of God, but I love myself to live under law. And for somebody who loves the grace of God so much, that was very difficult for me to say you're right to. To say, you know what, I, I preach the grace of God, I believe the grace of God, I celebrate the grace of God, but when it comes to me, I treat myself as though I'm under law. And some of you, instead of being under grace where you should be, you put yourself under law. You believe that God loves you, but you're not sure that God likes you. Yeah, God loves you, he has to, but he just doesn't like you. He's ticked at you most days of the week. He's disappointed. He's always up there just ready to swat you with the smoter. It's Greek. Might be Hebrew. If you see blessings as rewards, you might be living under law rather than grace. If you think that God gives little treats for good behavior, if you think that God opens doors because of just a little something, something extra you put in, if you see blessings as rewards, you might be living under law rather than grace. If you say you believe in joy and peace, you just never have it, you may be under law and not grace. If you see certain sin and sinners as worse than other sin and sinners, you might be living under law and not grace. If you have virtually no one in your life that significantly disagrees with you about anything, you may be living under law and not grace. If it's easier for you to condemn rather than extend compassion, you might be living under law and not grace. If it's hard for you to say I was wrong or I failed, if it's hard for you to let other people know that you fail, you might be living under law and not grace. If you care more about being right than being kind, you might be living under law and not grace. If you care more about what people think about you than what God already knows about you, you might be living under law and not grace. If you're never 100% sure that you're 100% forgiven, you might be under law and not grace. Paul says we are under grace. We have been set free from living like that. He goes on, he says, for through the Spirit, this is th something God does, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness which we hope. Now, we're a mess, we're broke, but one day, God's gonna clean it all up. One day, God's gonna put it all back together. That's our ultimate hope. One day, all the wrinkles are gonna get ironed out. All the blemishes are gonna be polished off. And you and I will be made perfect like he is perfect. We will be conformed into the image of God's son and we will never disappoint him, ourselves, or anybody else ever again. 
Paul says, that's how God sees you right now, but one day that's how you will be in all levels. And that's what we wait for, that's our hope. And then he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. He says, again, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul, this is the only thing he says that counts. Paul, do you know how big the Old Testament is? Do you know how many laws there were? 613 of them. He says, the only thing that matters. If you wanna know what's most important to God, right now in your life, in my life, in this season, in this country, in our culture, right now in the midst of everything that we're going through, in the midst of everything that we're facing, in the midst of the political climate, in the midst of the healthcare climate, in the midst of everything that's going on, do you wanna know what's most important to God? Do you wanna know what should be most important to you? Paul says, the only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is your faith and my faith and our faith expressing itself through love. So while you're over here trying to live under law, this is Paul's point, while you're over here trying to live under law, try harder, do more, try harder, do more. You've made your whole life about you and God. All the while, you and God are good. And you're over here trying to impress God, get God to listen, get God to bless, get God to give favor, get God to love you a little more, get God to forgive you for what you did last Friday. And all the while, you have totally neglected your neighbor. You're playing these little religious games with God, sing your songs, pray your prayers because you're trying to get in, trying to keep the door open, don't want God to you know, swat at anybody that's close to you or you. So your faith is self-absorbed. Your faith is self-centric. Your faith is all about you and God and you and God are good. God's saying, I love you. You're accepted. You got a seat at the table. You're in all the way you're in, forever you're in. You're in the palm of my hand, I won't let you go. And if you need an extra policy, God's hand's bigger than my hand and his hand's over my hand, you're safe with me in my grace. So spend your time worrying about something else other than me and you, because we are good. We're good, so move on. Take yourself out of the middle of your faith. And as we said last week, I wanted to come back and say it again, the greatest expression of our faith is love. The greatest expression of our faith is love. If I hear, I'm sorry, but if I hear it's time to stand up one more flipping time from Christians on social media, I am just going to run through glass. Tell me what that means. Does anybody know what that means? No, nobody knows what that means. He doesn't call us to stand up Matter of fact, if you want to get technical, he calls us to kneel down. He calls, he calls us to take the position of less power, less authority. I mean, Christians, we're saying some of the dumbest things right now in our culture. And let me tell you, God only knows I didn't want to preach today. I didn't want to say what I felt like God had put in my heart today because I, I'm serious. We are at a crisis in this country when it comes to the local church. We have lost our bearings. We have lost our guide. And at the center of our faith, I fear, is not God or our neighbor. Judging by the way that we speak, judging by our tenor, judging by our disposition, judging by our opinions and our thoughts and the way we express them, I just wonder if we have gotten away from what Paul is saying that the greatest expression of our faith is love. He's not calling us to stand up right now. He's calling us to love right now. 
He's not, he's calling us to love right now. And anytime I have a belief, a position, a politic, an interpretation, an affiliation, anytime I value status, anytime I value me, anytime I value us over neighbors, anytime I unlove somebody, I have gotten away from what's most important to God. People who disagree with me are not my enemy. They are my neighbor. Democrats are not your enemy. Republicans are not your enemies. Pro or anti, fill in the blank. They are not the enemy. They are our neighbors. And Jesus said they're supposed to be at the heart of our faith. That there's no such thing as saving faith without expressing love. Faith is the fruit or is the root and love is the fruit. The only thing that matters is me expressing my faith with love. So what does that mean? Well, just give me a minute. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, we're called to be free. Free, free, free to do what, Paul? Paul's gonna make a lot of you feel good right now. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. It's like, oh, thank goodness, because I just thought he was saying, do whatever you wanna do, you could, you're just free, it's all grace. If it's all grace, just do whatever you wanna do, however you wanna do it, with whoever you wanna do it. Have you been listening? That's not freedom. That's not even Paul's definition of freedom. It's not even close. He says, do not use freedom to indulge the flesh, to put you at the center of your faith, to do what you think is good and best for you, he says, no, no, I'm calling you to a different type of freedom. Rather serve one another humbly in love. That's the freedom that I'm inviting you into. That's true freedom. That's messy freedom. That's inconvenient, uncomfortable freedom. This is a freedom that says, no, 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 it's not about what you want. It's not what is best for you or what's right for you. It's a paradoxical, upside down, last is first type of freedom where I express my faith through serving others in humility. I don't power up, I power down. I don't conquer, I sacrifice. I don't pick up, I lay down. How did we get so far away from the book we say we believe? How did we get so pulled into the rhetoric that we can't even decipher what is Christian anymore and what's not? How did that happen? How did it happen in my life? How did it happen in your life? How did it happen in the life of the church? Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's happened. Love is what compels us to serve the interest of everybody around us before we serve the interest of ourselves. That's what Paul said in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you. In all of your relationships, the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, who himself had, where we put the interest of everybody else above ourselves. Whose interests were Jesus putting first on the cross? Whose, whose interests were Jesus, was Jesus putting first as he was being flogged with the cat of nine tails? Whose interests was he putting first when he was crowned with thorns, when they put nails in his hand and through his feet? Whose interests were he putting first? Mine and yours. 
the interest of his enemies, the interest of the Romans, the interest of the religious establishment, of Pharisees, of the self-righteous and the unrighteous. Love compels us that we put other people's safety as more important than my own safety. That I prioritize your life over my own. This is the New Testament teaching of following Jesus. That's why Jesus is not as popular as we think he should be. Because when you actually read his words and try to follow his teaching, you realize that it cuts against the grain. That it rubs us wrong. Doing what's best for me. Christians, that's, that's the advice that we've fallen into these days. I think you should just do what's best for you. What? I think the Christian advice is, I think you should do what's best for your neighbor. I think you should do what's best for the people around you. I think you should do what's best for the people who are far from you. I think you should put your neighbor's concerns above your own, whatever that looks like, whatever that means. Because it's a cheap freedom that says, I'm gonna do what's best for me. It's a cheap version of freedom that says, I'm gonna decide based on what's best for me. The Jesus call is that I'm gonna do what's best for you even when it's uncomfortable for me. Paul said, this is a big deal. He says, because for the entire law, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you don't get this right, you've missed the point of everything. You've missed the point. Read your Bible all day and all night. You missed this. You've missed the point, bro, sis, of that Bible. Sing your songs. Put it on K-Love. Be encouraged until you can't receive anymore. But if you miss that, you've missed the point. Join another group. Join another team. Do a little more, try a little harder. But if you miss this right here, he says you have missed the point of the whole thing. If I miss this, I've missed the point of the whole thing. Paul says if you have any other filter in deciding how you live your life other than God and your neighbor right there in the middle, he said you have got the wrong filter. If you're lockstep with the Republicans, let me tell you, if you're lockstep with the Republicans, I guarantee you're out of step with Jesus. If you're lockstep with the Democrats right now, you are out of step with Jesus. If you are lockstep with the culture right now, you are out of step with Jesus. Because let me tell you, Jesus plots the course alone. Culture does not navigate in the direction of Jesus. Politics does not drift in the direction of Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. And he says, follow me. And when you follow me, I'm gonna invite you to be free, but it may be a different type of freedom than what you were expecting. I'm about out of time, but I don't care. You know what us Americans, Robert Bell, a sociologist, he says, you know what our greatest value as Americans is? It's freedom. And what does that freedom mean? Well, most of the time for most people in our culture, American freedom means leave me alone. Leave me alone, let me do what I wanna do. Don't force my hand, don't force your values, don't force your decisions, don't force your ideas, don't force your lifestyle on me, leave me alone. Leave me alone to be at the center. Leave me alone to do what I wanna do, how I wanna do it, 
what I think is best and right and good for me. The problem is we're Christians. And that's not the way we live our life. Because if our idea of freedom is doing whatever we want with whomever we want, whenever we want, Jesus is gonna be extremely inconvenient. Jesus said at the heart of our faith is God and our neighbor. And Jesus was the one who said, do for others what you would want them to do for you. Jesus said the greatest version of you is when you kneel and serve humbly. When you wash the feet of those around you, when you meet the need of those around you, that's the greatest version that you'll ever be of yourself. Jesus took his disciples to the upper room and he said, I want you, this is the commandment. This is it, this is the one command. I want you to love them. I want you to love each other the way that I have loved you. Because greater love has no man than this, no woman than this, than a woman or a man who will what? Lay down their lives for others. And then Jesus went out and showed us what love looks like. And it's not ooey, and it's not gooey, and it's not sentimental. It's not sappy, it's not emotional. You know what love looks like? It looks like a grown man on a cross, naked, with blood and spit on his body. You know what love looks like? It looks like a grown man naked with blood and spit on his body, with thorns on his head and nails in his hands and feet. A man who's struggling to breathe, a man who is slowly suffocating and bleeding to death. At the heart of our faith as Christians, that's what love looks like. That I'm willing to lay it all down for you, for you. And if it's not good for you, it's not good for me. You say, well, what about this and what about that? Listen, love and life is too complicated to be codified in a list of rules. It's messy. It takes hard work. It takes being a student. It takes humility. It takes asking questions. It takes being a student of the word. It takes listening to the spirit of God as it prompts us. Love can't be codified in a list of commandments. The law is about how low you can go. Love is about how high I can soar. If putting, if putting others first doesn't sound like freedom, it's because I'm still a slave to my own selfishness. That's why, that's why it feels bad. That's why I'm resisting it. That's, that's the reason right now you're fighting with me in your head. That's why you got chapter verse, you're trying to object. It's because I'm a slave to my own selfishness. When this type of freedom doesn't feel free, it's because I'm still selfish. A type of freedom that says, if it's good for my neighbor, it's what's good for me. If it's what's best for my neighbor, it's what's best for me. So I don't like that. I didn't say you would. Said it another way, when what is good for others, it's always good. And what is best for others is always best. Sure, we can talk about the nuance of good and best, but I think we can agree that it's good for my neighbor, truly good for my neighbor. It is truly good for me. If it's truly best for them, it's truly best for me. It's a love that says, you know what? I love my rights, but I take my responsibilities seriously.
more serious. It's a love that says, yeah, loving you that way, it's gonna be inconvenient, it's gonna be uncomfortable, and I will probably have to do it kicking and screaming, but it's a type of love that says it will be worth it. I hope that this is not true, but if it's true, it's terrifying. If it's true that I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least, if that's true, if that's true, maybe I should ask the question, how much do I really love God? If I only love God as much as I love the person I love least, So here's what I want us to do. I just want us to bow our heads for just a moment. And I wanna dare us all, beginning with me. I wanna dare us all to say, God, tear down my resistance to hear what I need to hear because only the Holy Spirit can put his word in our heart and bring the fruit that only God can bring from it. This type of freedom, this type of love, it's messy. But this is the type of love and freedom that will change the world. So just ask God, God, what is it that I need to hear today? Father, speak to our hearts as we get ready to sing together. Let that seed go deep in our heart. Let it be watered. God, I pray you bring immediate increase. Let us be a people that what was true of you is true of us, that you put the needs of everybody else before your own. And it informed how you lived your life. It informed how you gave your life. So Father, speak to us in this moment. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.